Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. My grandchildren are, are really interested in animals, but the younger ones in particular. Uh, they're, they're fascinated by all the different types of animals. And what I've noticed is, is we've watched uh, some of the documentaries that are around just this heavy push to evolution all the time, that this evolved, that that evolved, that, um, you know, um, and the, um, you know, the struggle for survival um, that's, you know, generated these pressures for evolution. And so it's no surprise that our community at large believe that we have evolved. And obviously, you know, from this we have the Bible account that God created um, this world in a very short period of time, just six literal earth days, um, created the life on, on this, this planet in that time and, and created us. And the first people were Adam and Eve, not some ape-like uh, creature that has slowly evolved into humans over millions of years or hundreds of thousands of years, whatever scenario is uh, uh, being promoted. The, um, you know, the evidence for creation is just so overwhelming, and yet people aren't being told this. And so, of course, one of the purposes of this you know, program is um, to provide the overwhelming evidence that we have that evolution hasn't occurred and is impossible, uh, particularly from the scientific evidence. You know, I, I came across this little article the other day, uh, that, and I, I wasn't aware of this, that, where, that horses, for example, uh, when they're born, they're born with um, foal slippers. Now, what these are, these are, are temporary hoof capsules um, they're this soft, uh, rubbery uh, uh, little uh, coverings on their hooves. And they actually have a specific purpose, and that is to prevent damage to the mare's delicate um, tissues, uh, particularly in the birth canal walls, during delivery. Um, because the, you know, the horse's hooves are, are quite sharp, and they're meant to be quite sharp. Uh, their, their main form of protection. And also, uh, when the little foal is born, it has to be up and running you know, quite quickly, and the same applies to zebras and so forth. And so it's quite fascinating that these little um, soft rubbery structures that cover the, the foal's hooves at birth, as soon as the whole foal is born, within minutes they begin to dry out decompose and break down. So very quickly, the uh, foals, um, you know, ha has its hooves. And um, it's quite fascinating. We've, we've had horses at, um, at, at, at different times. <laughs> my children were growing up and um, I have one at the moment as well from um, my daughter at our place. But um, it's fascinating that this is something that is quite specific. Now, you imagine the chemistry that's involved in the DNA code to produce this particular rubbery material that's there that covers the hoof, but it's just temporary to fall off once it is born. 
Just imagine, now, just imagine the probability of all those amazing changes to construct the different uh, material that these slippers are made of, to have them in a way that they break down very quickly, whereas the rest of the hoof doesn't break down as soon as it's born. The chemistry involved in that all has to be pre-programmed in the code. You know, this is just a very simple example that, uh, provides overwhelming evidence, in my view, for design, amazing design that is there. And again, that, uh, you know, protects the uh, uh, the mother and, and so forth. And the animals, zebras, donkeys, these sort of animals, all have uh, these sort of hooved animals are born this way so that the mother is protected during during birth and also as the baby is, is growing inside her. And so, you know, there's so many things like this that we learn about. Another one, of course, is the uh, Neanderthals. And, of course, all the time it's promoted that we um, solely have evolved from some ape-like creatures. Now, of course... Um, and, and of course, most of us have heard of Neanderthals, and these were, you know, particularly early on, uh, portrayed as um, like a, a an ape-like, uh, well, sort of, yes, a very hairy uh, sort of creature, ape-like creature, with certainly with a. Uh, some of the pictures that I've seen, particularly from the early 1900s, have a like a gorilla head on a very bulky. Bent, partly bent over human uh, structure, but you know we've we've uh, learned a lot about these DNAs, uh, the uh, Nathanderals now, particularly from DNA. So they were uh, first discovered, of course, back in 1856 in um, in Germany, in the Neander Valley, and um, the and so as I said, these drawings that were. Uh, initially drawn because back in the late 1800s we've got Darwin's theory of evolution has has really taken off after his uh, book was published uh, just a couple of years uh, after the Nathandrals were actually discovered and um, and they were of course portrayed as uh, haunched, hairy, uh, subhuman, brute beast type uh, people. It was promoted of course that uh, we... um, evolve from these things. But of course, since then, scientific discoveries have really challenged the primitiveness of um, the uh, Neanderthals. Um, And one of the interesting things has that uh, scientists have recently uh, been able to uh, reconstruct um, uh, from skeletons um, the, uh, the face of what the face would look like. And not surprisingly, there was one uh, skeleton where they found almost complete all the bones for the face. And, of course, um, not surprisingly, um, comes out um, uh, fully um, just like a, uh, a, a normal human boy would look, you know, 11, 12-year-old boy would look. And so these... Um, uh, uh, some of the other ideas that the you know, Thandrils were slow and lumbering is out. Matter of fact, the evidence points now that they were quite powerful, lean um, uh, running machines, actually, 
um, that they had quite um, uh, superior uh, fitness. Um, the other fascinating thing is, of course, that the whole idea was that Neanderthals grew up in the, um, you know, in the Ice Age sort of thing. But now, as we've studied the um, soil in which a lot of Neanderthal remains have been found, they have profiles typical of woodlands, and also the the soils contain small mammals, and so the combined evidence actually suggests now. Um, a mild um, uh, climate. So again, as a um, the uh, you know the evidence that we're finding um, for um, these uh, ne- Neanderthals being you know just like us humans is um, you know powerful evidence that you know this evolutionary process didn't occur. They were, they were just humans uh, like us. And, uh, of course, that um, anyone's interested in the face uh, reference, it's Neanderthals and Homo sapiens had similar auditory and speech capacities, and uh, that was published in Natical Evolution um, in 2021, Volume 5, page 609 on. And so when we look in and summarise what the Neanderthals did, they buried their dead in graves, they had uh, rituals. So, for example, I think with this uh, boy's uh, skeleton, when he was found, it was found with a with a number of uh, specific sort of types of objects and tusks and horns buried with it, which suggests a ritual burying. Uh, there's evidence they could hear and speak like us. Uh, so they counted. Uh, they uh, created symbolic engraved art. They made cosmetics. They produced beautiful cave paintings. They crafted musical instruments. Um, they made shrines um, and obviously had capacity for religious thought. They wore clothes. Uh, they wore jewellery. Uh, they actually had invented uh, glues and, and, um, and so forth. So there's a very interesting article summarising all this um, in uh, terms of uh, this was... Um, published in uh, the um, journal creation.com in 2023, volume 45, number four. Uh, And in particular, though, what's fascinating is the the face, the reconstruction of the face that showed a very human, um, uh, these people were, were just like us. Um, and of course, now with the DNA, we recognise that you know uh, so many uh, people that I know that have uh, had their DNA checked, it comes back with a you know percentage of Nathandrils in their in their DNA. In other words, they were just humans like us. They're not part of some evolutionary chain. And talking about faces, our amazing face, you know, another challenge for the evolutionary enigma uh, or is, is blushing or another evolutionary enigma, I should say, is, is blushing. And, um, of course, so now we know that Nathandrils didn't have these ape-like faces. They had human-like faces. And blushing, of course, is another thing that actually um, fascinated Darwin and was a real challenge to Darwin. So blushing is sort of the reddening of the skin of the face that's caused by dilation of the facial 
blood vessels which become engorged with blood, usually due to embarrassment or shame. And this uh, is something that is very difficult to explain from Darwin's, you know, survival of the fittest uh, approach. And it's interesting that it bothered Darwin uh, for uh, most of his, uh, uh, for a lot of his uh, working life um, because it was a factor that powerfully differentiated humans from apes. Um, it's in fact, it's another trait that is unique to humans. There's no evidence for blushing in any other animal. And to uh, quote Darwin, um, blushing is the most particular and most human of all expressions. And um, that was uh, quoted on page 310 of the book that Darwin wrote many people may not be familiar with, called The Expressions of Emotions in Man and Animals. Um, and that was uh, on page of the no- 1896 reprint, uh, John Murray reprint, London. Um, so that's uh, quite interesting. In, this, uh, in his book, The Expressions of Emotions in Man and Animals, Darwin talks quite a bit about um, uh, the blushing um, it's interesting, he, he, in fact, he devotes uh, an entire chapter to it, chapter 13, um, a memory in the, in the book. So Darwin concluded that blushing was a human characteristic that appeared to defy evolution for several reasons. Um, and, and one of those was that no one had been able to explain why something like blushing which most often doesn't help and may even hurt the blusher. Why would it evolve? Um, because one of the challenges is, you see, um, in contrast to most of our emotional responses, blushing's not a conscious behaviour. We, um, we can't cause a blush, and Darwin recognised that. It's produced by the autonomic nervous system, which is sort of beyond our control. Uh, it's interesting, of course, that... Um, Back in um, Darwin's time, um, uh, blushing was uh, thought to be part of God's design to expose human shame. And, of course, Darwin rejected that explanation and attempted to produce another reason, but he he couldn't. And um, he actually correctly concluded that the tendency to blush is inherited and so it could not be explained away um, due to um, learning. Again, uh, that's um, in the the same reference there, page 312, Darwin talks about that. So um, this is one of the challenges that um, evolution has had to try and explain um, blushing. and a lot of research has been done in this area, actually, to try and formulate um, an evolutionary e- explanation. He, um, for example, Darwin asked questions to children blush. Uh, from what age do they start to blush and, and so forth? And uh, it's interesting what the research that has, um, has followed on. For example, infants don't blush, but children do. 
mentally uh, retarded people seldom blush, but blind people do. Um, we tend to not blush when we're on our own, but we can nevertheless blush an embarrassing memory. And um, so these are, are some of the observations. Um, and um, research now suggests that our cheeks are part of the face that is most likely to expose one's true feelings because emotional feelings are predominantly displayed there. And uh, that was um, an interesting book that people may be interested in, although it's called The Evolution of the Human Face um, or About Faces, The Evolution of the Human Face uh, by Two Lando that was um, uh, published um, uh, by Doubleday back in uh, 1989. Uh, and in that uh, edition, page 156, uh, there's quite a... Uh, an interesting uh, summary there um, and and talk about how the role of the, our, our cheeks. Um, of course, at a, a physiological level, blushing um, is explained by simply the release of adrenaline in response to an emotional trigger. The adrenaline causes the dilation of the capillaries that carry blood um, to the skin, uh, well, all parts of the body, but to the skin. And uh, the increased blood boils closer to the skin surface is what causes the, um, the blush. And, of course, as people have thought about this, the positive side of blushing is that we are communicating something important about how we feel. The other thing is that blushing is an honest response because it is a distinct signal of sincere regret it signals to others that you acknowledge um, a shame or a mishap or a social wrongdoing, um, embarrassment and so forth. And so in actual fact, it promotes trust um, and probably positive judgment by observers. This, uh, again, uh, was a... Um, and they were some of the observations that were published in another book on the, called The Human Face... Uh, that was published back in 1974 by J. Liggett um, on page um, 261 there. So, you know, there's been psychological research that's concluded that embarrassment caused by blushing serves as an appeasement function and is used creatively in complex social interactions to facilitate uh, producing trust, forgiveness and succorants. Um, and uh, that was uh, an interesting um, article that was published in Current Directions in Psychological Research uh, back in 2000. Um, yeah, volume nine, number six, page 187 on. So um, it's, it's quite fascinating, I think. Um, we can measure all these today. We can measure the facial capillary blood flow and the temperature of the rosy cheeks, uh, but there's still no scientific explanation to why humans should blush and, um, and not other animals. But I think it points to the fact that, again, we didn't evolve from apes and monkeys or you know some ape-like creature at all. We were uniquely created by God. Another aspect of our face is that 
the expressivity of the human face is quite fascinating as well. And uh, researchers have now identified 21 distinct facial expressions and not just the six long-recognised basic emotions of happy, sad, fearful, angry, surprised and disgusted, but 15 other combinations of these, such as happily surprised, angrily surprised, etc., And it's interesting that each of these 21 facial expressions is produced by a unique combination of muscles that is very different from that of all other expressions. What I'm saying here is that it's the combination of 21 different muscles. You can have lots and lots of combinations of those muscles. In fact, the human face has approximately 50 muscles in all with about half being needed for functions such as eating, speaking and closing the eyes, but the rest are dedicated to making facial expressions. So just about half facial expressions. And about 20 of these muscles are unique to humans and they're not found in gorillas and the other apes. So this is very important. About 20 of these... about out of our 50 muscles, about half of them are used for you know everyday functions, but there's half that are used for making facial expressions. And of these, about 20, or matter of fact, most of them are unique to humans and they're not found in the other apes. And so, really, have these muscles all evolved by a slow step by step process? Of course, there were survival advantages in having facial expressions. No. It, you know, there's no evidence for that evolution. Secondly, these muscles require you know, distinct, a whole lot of new genetic code to produce these muscles. A lot of new code because these are additional muscles. These are muscles that are not found in the ape kingdom. That requires a lot of DNA. You've got the nerve function, you've got the blood supply function, you've got the associated tendons, muscle structure and so forth. You've got the associated brain connections. All these things have to evolve, right, in this period of of time. No, they're so complex. matter of fact, if we look at the complexity of these, just these muscles alone evolving, it, the, the probability of occurring is so astronomical that it just wouldn't happen, particularly in such a coordinated way that enables these additional communication express, uh, expressions. You know, our incredible facial expressivity instead points to us having been over-designed, which implies a designer who did so. And, of course, this is perfectly in keeping with us being specially created in the Bible. You know, it's interesting. God talks about that we've been created in his image. Now, we don't believe in a, in, you know, a, a literal image perhaps as such, but I've, in my view it's more in, in the potential of a, of a mental image that we can understand God's creation because God is, is spirit. God is um, you know, non, non-physical, but we have this ability in our face to be able to have this additional communication um, and to have these emotions to be relatively emotional, creative, spiritual beings. 
And, and particularly in contrast, you know, you've got evolutionists like Richard Dawkins who claimed that we're mere, you know, survival uh, machines, um, you know, such as in his book, uh, you know, The Selfish Gene. And, you know, it's interesting that this amazing structure of the human face is, provide, is causing major problems to engineers who are trying to design robotic faces. So the robotic faces tried so far have been composed of flexible elastic skin with internal deformation mechanisms, motors strategically positioned to pull wires attached to the inside of the face. But the researchers are powerfully constrained by mechanisms and material available in limited space in the in the in the head. So one of the um, robots that they developed a, a few years ago now and, and um, uh, back in, um, I think, around 2012, had 32 separate motors to control the muscles in its head and upper torso. Um, but again, people could pick. It was very difficult um, to, uh, well, uh, to portray the complexity of emotions that humans can. Basic emotions could happiness, anger and sadness, but they couldn't get the robots to identify uh, robotic fear, disgust or surprise. Um, and so, you know, this gives us some of the interesting, again, evidence. We've got teams of engineers working on these things and we can, and yet evolutionists claim that the muscles in our face uh, just arrived by chance mutations. You know... Just something that is sort of in our face, so to speak. Our face is such powerful evidence for amazing creator. There's powerful evidence that we did not evolve from apes and monkeys. Um, the Nathandral story, um, the amazing ability that we have to blush, um, the... Um, the complexity of our muscles to display all these additional emotions are powerful evidence that we are specifically designed by God. And the Bible tells us that that God wants to have a relationship with us, that he loves us, that he longs for us to come to recognise him and to choose uh, to be his child. Um, and the Bible talks about that. And we can learn how to do that by reading the Bible, which is the history of God's interaction with uh, mankind. And in particular, the New Testament, as God came and lived among us as a human, as a human being, Jesus Christ, to, as a last resort, demonstrate his love to us. And we can read about that in the New Testament of the Bible. And in my view, it makes so much sense. We have so much archaeological and written evidence that supports um, the testimony in the Bible and in, in the scriptures. Um, I really hope and pray that as listeners, you will come to know God as your friend and saviour and that loving a supreme being that wants to have you live eternally with him. You've been listening to Faith and Science. Um, and remember, if you want to re-listen to this program and the other programs, just Google um, 3ABN Australia, or one word, 
faithandsound.org.au, click on the radio button and the uh, listen button to the Faith and Science programs. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.